אני לא שואל, אדוני, אז זה תפתוח, ויגיד לי לצחוק. לא, לא הנדל תראה. אוקיי, אנחנו נגיד בשיר today about חוף סיבון. חוף סיבון, which is today, is brought down in Mishnabura. It's brought down in the Mishnabura in Simen Tov Kuf Pei. גם נויגים ליסאנויס חוף סיבון בכל מלכוס פוילן. שבורו says that there's a custom is to fast on the 20th day of סיבון in all of the kingdom of Poland. נארה נארה ופשטה he's quoting a מוגן אברהם and he says look in the שערי תשובה that says it's interesting that the ages that they were מחי of the fast was 18 years for a boy or for a man and 15 for a girl. I don't know exactly what the Vard in those ages were, but, well, you know, again, uh, obviously you're Gimel, you're Beis, but somehow 18 and 15. So now the question is, what is this fast day of Chof Sivan, which doesn't seem to, now Mishabura doesn't say like, well, we don't do that, right? Mishabura seems to say, that's the Minig, in Machal Machus Poilin. And the question is, uh, we don't seem to fast on this day, not even very well aware of what it commemorates and um, we'll go into it. This so, is from the Mishabura. This is from the Mishabura. Uh, so Mishabura only says it? Mishabura says oh. Gam Noyagim. Yeah. When, when He's quoting earlier. 1800s somewhere? Who? Mishabura early 1900s. Early 1900s he wrote it. Early okay. 1900s. Okay, so and this is from I mean po- Poland was not established until when? I mean when well, let's see. We'll, okay, we'll see in a second. We'll see in a second. So, Chav Sivan is a very interesting day. The, um, the first establishment of anything commemorating Chav Sivan happened actually in the year 1171. 1171. And what happened there was as follows. There was a city in France called um, Bleich. In English, it's B-L-O-I-S. Blois, I guess you pronounce it. And um, this was a city in France. And um, it's not far from Orleans. Uh, we have Baliataisvis. So we're, we're talking about the Tkufa of the Baliataisvis, the times of Rabbeinu Tam specifically. Rabbeinu Tam was an Enochal of Rashi, right? So that's the Tkufa that we're talking about. And... Um, we have enticed many times the Marie Merlins, right? There was Baliataisis from Orleans. So this city was not far from there. And um, what happened was as follows. This was one of the early blood libels in our history. Now exactly when blood libels began, it seems they began in England in the mid-1100s. It's when the first blood libels began. So this, if we're talking about 1170, we're talking about really early in the career of blood libels. And what happened was, in this city of Bloish, there was, um, the story goes as follows. And this was recorded by one of the Bali HaTaisis, or Ephraim from a city called Bon, B-O-N-N. He was one of the Bali HaTaisis. He was a python. He wrote Piyutim and Slichas and different things like that. And he lived at the time, and he wrote an account of what happened in this city. Um, Where's that found? Where did he write this in? in? So there's Svarim there's that have them. I found the Sefer on the Eitzar HaChachma. I forgot what it's called. They didn't print it out because it wasn't so Negea for here, because um, it was more Negea. 
I'm going to use it, Bez Hashem, when we go to Europe in a few weeks, we're going to be going to, um, to, uh, to Germany for one day, to Worms and, and, and uh, Mainz and, um, and, uh, and uh, other places in that neighborhood, which was the Crusades in 1096, was when those cities were wiped out. Um, so over there, in that safer, in that safer, um, he has from that kufa a lot of different collections of things, and one of them is this account of Rav Ephraim um, from Bonn, who was who was uh, one of the Baliatisis. I think he might have been even a Talmud of Rabbeinu Tam, and um, so he writes this. He has a, it's not long; it's a few pages long, but uh, it's quoted all over. If you do a Google search for it, it's one is even at the fast day you'll find a million and one things in Hebrew and English, and they all quote this uh, this this account that he wrote, and. Um, so, so what happened? So there was a uh, there was a uh, a stable servant who decided to go bring his horse to drink from the water of a stream. At the same time, there was a Jew named Yitzchak ben Elazar. That was his name. There was a small town. This uh, place, Blois. Forty Jews lived there. I mean, a small little village. Orleans was a big city, but this was a small little place, and. Um, it was sh- shortly before Pesach. And what happened was that the Jew was wearing some type of hide, some type of leather, but it wasn't tanned. It was like a, just a piece of hide on him as like a coat or like a mantle, something like that. He had it on his chest. And um, so, but instead of it being tucked in, one of the corners became loose and was flying around. So the horse of the guy, of the servant boy, it saw this hide flapping around. They thought it was another animal. And it got scared. And it got scared, so it refused to go and drink. It like jumped back from the water and refused to drink. So this Christian servant over here was a simple peasant, and he had heard from the priest, you've got to be very careful before Pesach, because the Jews kill babies to use for the matzah and for the wine. So he said, everybody make sure to watch your kids. So he got all nervous and he figured that the pshat is must be something went down over here that his horse saw something in the water. What could he have seen in the water already? He must be, he saw a baby, a dead kid there. So he went back to his master and he said, listen, you know what I saw? I took my horse down over there and I saw that the Jew threw in a Christian kid and into the water and uh, I ran away so quickly because I thought he'll kill me too. And my horse was also so frightened by the splash because of the splash of the water, wouldn't drink, and finished. So, um, so the master, who was one of the influential people in uh, town, he, uh, he um, said, okay, this is my chance that we're going to uh, destroy the Jews. So he ran, he rode the next day to the ruler of the city, and the ruler of the city was the son-in-law of the king of France, King Louis VII of France, who was a Russia Marusha, and uh, his name was Theobald, this is the son-in-law, and he went to him, they, the Christians called him Theobald the Good, but he was good for them and not good for us. That's why he was good for them. So he got all uh, excited, and he took all the Jews in the whole city, and he threw them into prison in iron chains. And the only one who didn't was, there was a Jewish woman who was very influential, um, and she was wise, she was pretty, and uh, she used to get favors from the ruler very often for the Jewish merchants of, of this place, but um, they gave. The, but the wife, meaning the daughter of the king, 
gave strict orders that for the servants that no one's allowed to let her in to the husband because she knew that he could influence uh, her husband and she also wanted them, the Jews, to be destroyed. And she was also never happy that her husband liked this Jewish lady. So finished. So they were put in jail. Lamaisa, there was no evidence except for this servant here who had his, uh, you know, who had his story. So they, they said maybe they'll ransom them. They sent, uh, they sent letters to the neighboring cities and how much they would give to get the Jews out of prison. And uh, the Jews came to the, to, the, to the prison to talk to the prisoners. And they said, listen, don't give too much money because, you know, if you start, we start, and this was always a problem, if you pay them too much, it's going to start a trend. They're just going to be throwing them in. And paidim yoiser mikidei demeyem, the Gemara and Gittin says, you know, not paidim shvuyim too much because the guy are going to see it's a very lucrative business. So they said not to pay too much. So it didn't work out here. And anyways, the bishop came onto the scene, and the bishop already is uh, from the Christians, and he says, no, 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 they, they, he can't be paid to them with money, they have to be put to death, but they have to be proven that they're guilty. So they had a test. What was the test? The test was as follows. They're going to fill a tank with water, and the servant who saw the Jew throw in the kid, quote-unquote, they're going to put him into this tank. If he floats, that means he's saying the truth. If he sinks, it means he lied. So they threw him in and he floated, finished. It's like a Raya Brura. He floated. Now, happens to be they fixed it a little. I think they gave him some floaters just in case he didn't know how to tread water. They gave, you know, they put under his uh, jacket some, uh, you know, some uh, saltation devices. And finished. He was floating and finished Raya Brura that uh, they are, um, they're guilty. So, so they were taken like this. They were taken to a place and they were put into a wooden house. And they placed around the wooden house thorn bushes and all types of dry different things so it'll burn better. And they said like this, listen, you have one way out, you could save your lives if you accept our religion. And they said no. And they beat them and they tortured them, accept their religion, no. They're going to die out Kiddush Hashem. So the count said like this, he's going to take the two most Hashiva Jews there, were both Kehanim, one of them was named Rabbi Chiel, Ben Rabbi David Akayin, and the other one was named Rabbi Kusil Ben Rabbi Yehuda Akayin. They're both Talmidim of Rabbeinu Tam. They're both Talmidim of Rabbeinu Tam. And of Rash, the Rashbam as well, was another grandson of Rashi. So they're both Talmidim of the big Balea Taisvis. And then there was a third Jew also, Rabbi Yehuda Ben Aaron. Doesn't seem he's one for the Balea Taisvis, he's a Chosh of a Jew. He t- they took them, and they said, you know what? You guys aren't going to do it. What we're going to do is we're going to burn these three Jews alive at the stake in front of you, in front of the rest of the Jews, in the house. And, uh, you know, you're going to, hopefully they thought it would scare them enough. So they tied them up to, this, to the stake and they set fire to it. And what happened was that the fire spread and the ropes that were around their arms and their legs snapped from the fire before they could be burnt. So they walked right out of there. They walked right out. Now, a lot of Christians came to watch this affair, and they see the Jews walk out of the fire. Now, there seemed to have been a law that if you try to burn somebody and he gets out alive, so he goes free. So they said, listen, according to your own rule of law, we're free. So they tried to get back out, they got out of the house, and they said, no, you know, we're overruling the law. They pushed them back in the house, and uh, in fact, they, so then they set the whole house on fire. They tried to push out again, and they got out, and they even grabbed one of the executioners, and try to schlep him in along with them to the house. Maybe that would stop it. But eventually the armed soldiers came, and they rescued the executioner. They ended up killing these three um, 
with their swords, threw their bodies back into the fire, and they lit the whole thing on fire. Now it seems that the Goyim later on said that they heard the most beautiful song coming out of this house as the fire was raging. And um, this was witnessed, as we said, by Reb Baruch. Um, I'm sorry, this was written by, we said, Reb Yaakov, who wrote it again? Reb Ephraim um, from Bonn. But the witness to it, there was one witness, was Reb Baruch ben Reb David HaKain was there, and he was hiding, and he saw the whole thing. And afterwards he explained to them, they were singing, um, they were singing, Aleinu L'Shabeach. They were singing Aleinu L'Shabeach, which niggin they used, I can't tell you. But they were singing Aleinu L'Shabeach, and the Goyim were going crazy. They never heard such a thing. It was like uh, such a song coming out of a burning, um, a burning uh, building. Lamaisa, it's interesting, what happened was, that when they went afterwards, to look what happened inside, Lamai said their bodies weren't burnt. They didn't get burnt. They died. It was Mamash Lagnodavaviu, where it says that they died, that an Aish went into them and killed them, but their bodies didn't get burnt, even though the whole thing burned down and they died. But Lamaisa, their bodies did not get burnt. And um, they didn't, for a long time, they didn't let them be buried. And uh, eventually, later on, years later, they were taka buried. But everyone who came and saw it, even the Gayim, the Gayim were made. They said, these must have been Mamish Sadiqim over here. They must have been. How could it be such a thing? We burnt down the whole house. And even though they died, but their bodies weren't burnt. So it was Vayihila Ice. So this was, was written down by Rabbi Yaakov from Bonn. It was sent by the eyewitness to Rabbi Nutam. And Rabbi Nutam at that time said that because of this terrible tragedy, he's misakin a tainus on Chav Sivan. This happened on Chav Sivan, and he was misakin a tainus for the Jews of France, the Jews of England, and the Jews of the Rhineland of that area of Germany to observe Chav Sivan as a day of mourning and fasting. Now Rabbi Nutam happens to be, um, and this was also a 24-hour fast, like Yom Kippur, Mamash, or like Tishabov. It wasn't just a day fast, it was from the night before. Yeah. Rabbi Nutam took this so to heart, this tragedy, that he got to die two weeks later, or three weeks later. In the beginning of Thomas, he was nifter from the heartbreak over this story of what they did over here. So this was the first, the first, um, the first uh, event that happened in the Chavsivan. There's actually a kina, when you look here, like you have some sedurim here in the Eitzra, Tzvilas, they have it, the slichas are very long for Chavsivan. Longer than a regular tainus. You know, like a regular tainus, you have like three piyutim and the, and the uh, pismite and things like that. Much, much longer. And the piyut here, um, there's a very famous one that's written, it's called Emune Shloimi Yisrael, and it clearly says in the beginning, Be'esrim B'Sivan, and the 20th of Sivan, be tough, tough kuf lamed aleph. That's the year of uh, 1171, and he goes through this. Uh, it's uh, it's a long uh, slicha as well. But this one was composed um, for this event that happened in uh, in Chaf Sivan. Now the truth is, this was the beginning of. Eventually, about ten years later, the king of France banished the Jews from France. This was what kicked it off. This Misa. A lot of kinois were written um, by the Bali Hataisvis, the author of the Akdamas, Rameir ben Rebitzchak, who wrote Akdamas, wrote a kina um, or a slicha that should be recited on these days. Um, 
There was, uh, who else wrote? Rabbeinu Gershom wrote, Rabbeinu Gershom Aragayla also wrote. These were, um, so there was a lot, um, the lot um, that was uh, from the Baliyat Taisis from that time. Now, what happened is like this. Lamaisa 1171 is in the middle of the Crusades. In the, in the thousands to the 1200s was the Crusades. So it was the middle of the Crusades. So since it happened during this month of the Crusades, really many people viewed Chav Sivan as the morning day for the, what happened during, um, during the Crusades. Um, but Lamaisa, it wasn't really a Crusade Tzara. It wasn't a crusade tzara. It happens to be it actually took place between the second and the third crusade. The second crusade ended 1149. The third crusade started in 1189. So it was 1171 was right in the middle. So and and the first crusade was earlier. So it wasn't really part of the crusades. However, since it happened, this kufa people view it as the day. We mentioned already on um, the Shabbos before Shavuos. We mentioned that. Um, Really, those cities that I was talking about before, Worms and Spire and, 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 uh, and Mainz, those three cities that were wiped out, they were wiped out in a lot of the other Crusades as well, happened between Pesach and Shavuos. And that's part of the Avelos of between Pesach and Shavuos was really for this man of the Crusades. And in fact, from the Kenites, there's two of them we say on Tisha B'av, one of them specifically for those three cities. It says, Beferish over there, the city of Worms was killed out twice, once on Rishchidosh Sivan, and then again on Gimel Sivan. Um, terrible Tsarist had happened. And um, really that's why, you know, till recently, till recently there was a little bit of a, a difference between which part of Sphira you keep. Meaning to say like this, we, you can either keep Sphira, the Avels of Sphira from the beginning till Lagbaimer, or from Rishchidosh till Shavuos or till the Shoshimei Hagbala. So the Minig always was, from years, was that from Pesach till Rishchidosh people made Chasanas. Now, even though people were in Sfira, some people, but people made chasanas. But after Lagba Omer, till Shleishes Me'agbala, there were never chasanas. Kemat never chasanas. Even for the people who weren't keeping Sfira anymore, there were never chasanas. So people said, so it doesn't make any sense. Memanavshach, right? Either it's all or nothing. But why is it that there's this difference? And the reason is, now, for years back, in, I think in Baltimore, Heinemann started being Mater chasanas after Lagba Omer, but it did not become commonplace till very recently, last number of years, because there's Pasha, no halls available, and no dates available. So, but the question is, what was the original reason? Why was it like that? And the answer is, because the Taz writes, the Taz writes, that really, because of the Tsaris that happened during Sfira, meaning during the, because of the Crusades, even after Lag Boimer, now you're not keeping Sfira because of Tamid Rebbe Kiv anymore. There was a minig not to have chasanas until Shalashah Zemiyak Again, you could cut your hair, you could listen to music, you could do all those things. But because of these gzairas of the Crusades, there was no chasanas from Lag Bo- even from Lag Boimer until Shalashah Zemiyak until Shavuos, because of the Crusades. Okay, but recently things became, obviously it wasn't an Isser, but it was such a Minig, and that's why it was like that, that there were no Chasanas. And that's why we mentioned on Shabbos, before Shavuos, which was, um, which was already during we said Avarachamim. It's Gebracht, you say Avarachamim. Now, why do you say Avarachamim? It's during the, you may, you don't say Tachanun. And the answer is, we said this on Shabbos, that Avarachamim was made because of those Gezeras during the Zman of the Crusades, of Tatanu, which is, is, is 1096, of those years of the Crusades. And that's why 
We say it during Svira, the whole Svira, even if you have a bris, and even if you have a chasana, and even if it's Nisan, and even if it's Sivan, you say Avarachimim, because this was the day. In fact, there were many Kehilas in Europe that only said Avarachimim during Svira. They don't say it all year. Only during Svira, because it was a Takana for Svira. And the Shabbos, right before Shavuos, was when there were so many Tsaras. Like we said, Aleph Sivan, Gimel Sivan, Worms. So that Shabbos Dafka, you should say it. And we said there were some Kilos in Europe that didn't say it a whole year. Not during Svira. The only Shabbos of the year they said Avarachimim was the Shabbos before Shavuos. Because that was the Taik of Hatsaris. Uh, Holocaust survivors held that also. That's the, the, the day that they chose to... to so the Hungarian Jewry... Okay were deported, a lot of them were deported in that Kufa, and some of them didn't know the yard site, so they kept the yard site down, 100%. So, so but Lemaisa, Chaf Sivan, now again, the Crusades wasn't just a small Kufa, the Crusades went through the whole year, so Chaf Sivan is close to the Crusades, but really Sphere is about the Crusades, really. Chaf Sivan is not about the Crusades. Chaf Sivan was this tragedy, think about it, of all the tragedies, 40 Jews were killed, or 30-some Jews were killed, Rabbeinu Tam died from it, from the heartbreak, and he made such a takana because of this for um, England, France, the Rhineland, the Jamaica, a, 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 a tainus for it, and Memeila and Hetzay Slichus because of this sorrow. So that's Chav Sivan. Again, people think it has to do with the Crusades, but Lemais, if you get down to the nitty-gritty, it doesn't really have to do with the Crusades. Okay, but that was for that area, right? We're talking about France, Germany, England is more west. Now, in the year Tach Vitat, we go now into the 1600s, right? Some 500 years later, 400, 500 years later, is when we had the Xeris of Tach Vitat. What was Tach Vitat? So Tachvitat was during the Kingdom of Poland. The Kingdom of Poland was a gigantic place that covered Poland, what's today Belarus, what's today Lithuania, what's today Latvia, what's today the Ukraine. Um, it was a gigantic, gigantic area, and going west also, it went towards Germany as well, in parts of what we call today as Germany. It was a gigantic, Austria, this was all part of the Kingdom of Poland. Kingdom of Poland in its heyday, was for about 200 years, the 1500s to the 1700s, that neighborhood in the times of the Ramah, in the times of the Shach, a little bit later, in the times of the Taz, we're talking about, it was a really um, very prosperous time for Europe Bechlau and the Jews Bechlau in that time, um, for at least part of the time at least, earlier in the, like in the Ramah's times, later on he got to talk about that, he got a little bad for the Jews, but it was a very, very... Um, the kingdom of Poland was a gigantic place, Malchus Poland. Now it had Kufas later on, it got smaller, it got bigger, until eventually it was totally divided up, maybe in, in the, by, after World War I. That neighborhood, 1800s, 1900s, things started falling apart um, in the kingdom of Poland. But that was why it's called Bechol Malchus Poland. So what was Tachvitat? So Tachvitat was like this. And the kingdom of Poland was run by the nobles. The nobles. If you're, uh, any of you are um, into any type of history of any patients, um, there's, um, I, I just have it on my phone, so when I get into my car, it turns on. When I get out of my car, it turns off. But Davi Greenberger introduced me to a, a fellow, a rub in Baltimore, his name was David Katz. Margaret, and I think was classmates with him in Baltimore. And he's like Tom Chacham, but he's a Meshuggah history uh, buff. Yeah. And um, so he has podcasts um, uh, history, and he has one about uh, f I think five, each one's like an hour and a half long, but they're long, 
but he's very funny. He's very uh, and um, so he has like five of them on the on. on it's interesting. He was coming to be Masbir. What's going on now with Poland and the Jews? The, you know, with the Holocaust. Like, where you know, uh, we're allowed to mention the Holocaust. Were they involved the Holocaust? This whole thing. That's where he was coming from. But he says, if you don't understand history, you can't understand what's going on in this narrative here. So he starts back the I don't know hundreds and hundreds of years, and he goes through Tkufa by Tkufa of Poland to be Masbir. What was going on in each and every Tkufa? And once you you realize what was going on, all of a sudden you come to Akara of now you know. Know, this build-up of this politics didn't happen yesterday. You know what I mean? There's a lot ingrained in the blood of, of, of Poland and the Jews. Again, the Jews were in Poland for a thousand years. Jews were in Poland for a thousand years. Um, you go, well, you know, we were in Warsaw. There's a, there's a museum there. We didn't go to it because you could take forever there. But it goes through the thousand years of Polish Jewry. Poland, the Jews were in Poland for a very long time. We're part of the fabric of Poland. The problem is that, you know, we had our story of what would have happened, and they had their story of what happened. And the, both of them are true to a degree for perspectives. And Mamela, it causes a lot of issues. So Poland, so he talks about this. That's why I only know I'm such a bucky in this whole thing here. Kilu. Um, Poland was run by the nobles. That's right. There were noble families, you know. Um, we've talked about it even over here. When you talk about uh, Avram and Avram, we said the story, right? Um, Potocki. Potocki was a nobleman. He owned half of Poland. You know, it was owned by families and run by the noblemen. So the problem was the lower class, they were like the nothing. So there was this guy, Chalmanitsky, who was a Ukrainian serf. And he wanted to revolt against the noblemen. So he was known as the, he is known as a Pella because he was like, he was mamish like the Hitler, Yamachshamai of those days for what he did to the Jews. And Ad Hayyemazeh in the Ukraine, he's known as the father of the Ukrainian revolution. He's like, a, he's mamish a hero. It's not the Geita so much, but Lemaisa, that's like, it's like Germany still like worshiping Hitler. You know what I mean? It doesn't work that way in the, on a national sense, but in a national way, they're still, he's still the father of the Ukrainian revolution. So he went and he, it was, he, he hooked up with others and he decided that he's going to make a revolution against the Polish nobles. Besides for that, he was also, if I remember correctly, he was also maybe, I forgot which one, it was a Greek Orthodox, whatever it was from the different Catholics and Christians, he was from the other ones. So Mamela wasn't only about the Jews, it was also about the Christians themselves, which one, you know, which one you belong to. And basically what he did was, he swarmed with his, these are the Cossacks, that's where his groups of people, his armed mercenaries that came along with him, and he swept them up. They were a bunch of all serfs and lowlifes and, and, and nobodies, and they swept them up into this uh, fury, you know, and fervor to go and just make a revolution. And uh, they swept through the Ukraine, Poland, Lithuania, and they had wars, they wreaked havoc wherever they went, and uh, wherever they went, they killed... Um, <coughs> Many, many hundreds and thousands of Jews. How many exactly, we don't know. Um, there's different accounts of it I have over here. He brings that... Um, Those are called pogroms? That was what the original pogroms? It was... No, pogr these were, no the pogroms were usually like instigations by the people of the town. You know what I mean? Um, these were... These were he, was, he was waging wars against the noblemen. On the way, you know, as he swept through cities... He went and, and, and killed out tons of Jews as well. Um, what? They did. They did. But still, there were wars being, being fought between the two of them. You know what I mean? And they were, and this is what it was. And, um, and uh, he says over here, he brings, there's different accounts of how much. Um, a Talmud of the Bach writes 
that 400,000 Jews were killed. Um, the Shach says a Lashon, 600 Kehilais, more than 100,000. Um, someone else, Rabbi Shmuel Faivish, also wrote a Sefer about this time, and he says that he knows at least 740 Kehilais that were destroyed. He said the amount of Balabatim, excluding women and children, was at least 600,000. Um, if you count women and children, you're talking in the millions. Talking two million, he says. So this was a major, major zach, um, the, the, the tsaris of Tach v'tach. Now it's very interesting when you go through the Shach, actually wrote a sefer about this. Shach wrote a sefer, um, I have it over here, printed out over here somewhere, in one of these uh, taldas of the Shach, and this one. Um, the Shach wrote a sefer with kinais about it, and... Um, it's interesting because there were a lot of Ramazim in Tach and Tat that it was the, it was the year of Mashiach. Um, I don't know, somehow with the, with the Gmatrias and Zach and like that, and, and the Shach even writes something that we thought it was going to be a year of Mashiach and it ended up being a year of Tsaris, and, and it was like from the extremes, you know what I mean? They, they, so, um, so he went around and he destroyed many, 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 uh, many uh, cities, and... Um, and uh, many people were killed there. Some of the G'daylim that were killed were the two sons of the Taz, the father of the Mogan Avram, Reb Shimshon Mastropolya, famous, uh, you know, uh, Makubal. He's quoted in many Tzvarim. The Aflog quotes him very often. Um, and um, he... Um, so, uh, in fact, Reb Shimshon Mastropolya, he really tried to get the Gzeira to be Nisbata and Shamayim. He took 300 Chachamim together with him, dressed in Tachrichim, into a shul, to daven to Rabbi Shalalam that he should uh, stop the Gzeira. And while they were in the middle of davening, the Cossacks came in and just killed them all in the shul, much like that. So, it was a terrible, terrible time. Now, what, what was Chaf Sivan? What did Chaf Sivan have to do with anything? So Chafsivan, the first ma- major city in Poland that was attacked was a city called Nemerov. And Nemerov, the Godel, the, the rub of it was from the G'dayle Adar, his name was Rabbi Chiel Michal from Nemerov. Now, the Shach came from Nemerov, or he was a Talmud of his, he had, he had a Shaykhist to Nemerov. The Taisvis Yantif had been a Rav in Nemerov five years before Tachvetat. The Taisvis Yantif had been a Rav in Nicholsburg, then he was a Rav in Vienna, and then he was a Rav in, in, in Nemerov, and then he ended up in, at that time, in times of Tachvetat, he was ready in Krakow, he was ready Rashiva in Krakow. Um, but, um, so Nemerov was the Ir Ve'em Yisrael, and um, that was the first city, pretty much, that was attacked in Poland, and um, for three days they went around Bamish, and the, the, again, the Shach and his Sefer describes what went on, the series of events, but basically for three days they, um, they uh, went into the uh, city of Nemerov and destroying, murdering thousands and thousands of Yidin, they destroyed the Shul, all the Sefer were torn to pieces, they took the parchment, they used it for shoes, they used it for clothing, um, I'm sorry, Nemerov was in the Ukraine. I'm sorry, not in, not in Poland. The Nemerov was in the Ukraine. Again, this was all the same. They're all next to each other. You know, um, like today, Lvov or Lemberg is in the Ukraine. In the old days, it was in Poland. All the exact boundaries, you know, when they were split up later, are not exactly where it was before. But it's all Malchus Poland, like we said, the kingdom of Poland. And um, so, uh, and uh, Rabbi Chiel Micher told them yesterday, Al Kiddush Hashem. Everyone died on Kiddush Hashem, and it was a terrible, terrible, um, terrible tzara. So since that started on Chav Sivan, the Shach wrote 
for his family that they should observe Chav Sivan as a Tainus. And he wrote a Kina and a Slicha and a Kamali Rakamim, and it was a terrible, that's what the Shach wrote. Now, years later, a few years later, the Vad Arbaha Ratzais, which was, um, was like a halachic and legislative body appointed by the king that ruled over everything in Poland and Lithuania at the time, um, which are the Arba Ratzis, I'm not sure to remember, but it was called the Vard Arba Ratzis, and uh, everything, they even had the Kayach, I think, if I remember correctly, the king gave the Kayach, if they wanted to punish someone with death, they were allowed to. That's how powerful they were by the government. But they made Takanas throughout if a Takana needed to be made. And they made a Takana that that um, this is a day to commemorate the Xeris of Tachvetat because, again, it started in Nemerov and Chavsivan, and um, that's why they did it. Now, the Shach wrote because this reason because of Nemerov. Another reason, the Shari Tshuva says the Shach wrote a second reason because Chavsivan never falls on Shabbos. So you never have a problem with being a Nidche or a Muktam, what to do with it. It never falls on Shabbos, so they commemorated it um, with Chavsivan. And again, like I said, that's what the that's what the um, the Mishabura says. They made it here for the age was eighteen and fifteen. Um, so he writes. The Shachuva says, "Why they make a chaf sivan? This just didn't happen on one day. It was for numerous days." He says, "But don't forget." In 1171, this was also an Eitzar Eliyakov, like it says in the Slichais. And because it's this day that was already an Eitzar once before in Western Europe, so they made it again that it should be the same thing. And in fact, some of the Slichas that the Shach and the Vad Arbaratzas instituted were those Slichas from 1171 as well. Adarabba, Slichas from Tachvitat, they don't have so many that are instituted here. They retook some of the old ones from the Baliat to use it for these days to commemorate, um, to commemorate um, Tachvitat. So therefore, Chav Sivan was a day that was made for um, for Tach Vitat. Now, there was one other thing. Oh, the Taisis Yantiv. Now, famously, if you remember, we talked about this a few times. This is when the Taisis Yantiv's Mishabeirach became very famous. Why? Um, why was the Taisis Yantiv's Mishabeirach very famous? Because, really, the Mishabeirach for the Taisis Yantiv that we have nowadays that he talks about, if you get Mishabeirach, for not da- talking during davening. Now, the Nusuch we have here, that we have nowadays said, is not the Nusuch that was the original Nusuch of the Taisis Yantif. Um, and really, the Taisis Yantif wasn't the Mechaber of the Mishaberach. The Mechaber of the Mishaberach seems to have been the Maral. The Maral was a Rav in Nicholsburg. Nicholsburg was the, whoever was the Rav of Nicholsburg was also the chief rabbi of the whole uh, area, Medina, Moravia over there, that whole neighborhood. You had to go to him if you wanted to become a Rav anywhere in the city. You had to go to the Rav of Nicholsburg. The Maral was a Rav in Nicholsburg and he made two Mishabarachs in Shul that he was Mechaber. One not to talk during davening and one for the people who don't drink Stam Yain. And it was very clear that these were two things that Sha- the Maral was trying to target that it seemed to have become Kal amongst people in, uh, in, this, in, 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 in his city. And Mamele, he was crying to be Mechazek the Indian. Now if you look at the Nusuch, if they were actually talking in places, you're not allowed to talk. Like from Baruch Shammar to Yishtabach, you're not allowed to talk there. The Mishaberach says, people who, talk, who don't talk during 
Uh, don't talk during Birchus Kriyashma. They, they were talking in places that's Aser. And the morale was trying to be Mechazik, don't do Isurim. Now, the Taisus Yontif later on also became a Rav in Nicholsburg. And if this was already the Minik, he kept that Minik and they said the Mishaberach. And the same thing was with the Stam Yain, with the morale. Vaisachaiz was something that needed Chizuk, so they made a Mishaberach for everyone. Now, the morale then, be, I'm sorry, the Taisyantiv then became a Rav in Wien, in Vienna. It was a brand new Kehila, and he had, since they were making Numen Hagim there, he also instituted the Mishaberach because he saw it by his Rebbe, the morale, and he's making a new Kehila with new Takanas, so finally make the Mishaberach. When he went to Krakow later on, he never made the Mishaberach. Krakow was already an established city with established Minhagim. He's not bringing in new stuff. He didn't make the Mishaberach in Krakow. But then, then, um, when Tach Vitat came, so a few things were going on. You have to remember that the only way news traveled was by people bringing news. And there was so much tumult going on that where do you get the most news? Where do people congregate? In Shul. So what happened was the talking got out of hand in Shul because that's where everybody got their news. And on top of that, the Taisis Yandav had a dream had a dream that it was a skeleton that Tzaras of Tachvatat had to do with talking during davening that was not Kedusha's Beis So because of that, he reinstituted the Mishaberach because number one, it was an ace that was necessary. Number two, he heard that that was because of Xera. He reinstituted again the original Mishaberach of people mamish talking in places where you're not allowed to talk. And from then it became famous as the Taisus Yantas Mishaberach. Again, became famous because of Tachvatat. Somewhere along the line, I can't tell you where, somewhere they, you know, finessed up the Nusach a little bit to make it not to talk anywhere during davening, in places wanted to talk during davening, and so on and so forth. They didn't make it so, uh, so you know, exact. If you look at the Nusach, it's very clear what they were targeting. They were targeting places that it's usher to talk, don't talk. And again, it's very interesting because the way they did it is they didn't curse anybody who talked during davening. They made a mishaberach for people who didn't, a positive thing. They didn't go on the offense, you know what I mean? They went a positive. I saw it brought down there. They Dafka went in such a way, in a positive way. Get people a mishaberach. You want to live long? That's why it says that the, what's the lashon of the mishaberach? At least in the, in the version that we have. Does he have it in here? Uh, is that in this one? My sitter has it. Um, yeah, not that one. No, 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 well, what's, what's that whole bracha? Again, it's a beautiful bracha, but in the history behind it, at least in the Tach Vitat part of it, you understand people were being destroyed, people were being killed, families were being killed, and therefore you should be zaycha, that you should be able to raise your families. You should be there, your children should be there, so on and so forth, because this is was the Tkufa that it was. So Mamela, what happens over here is we have the Tainus of Chav Sivan that was instituted 
for Western Europe, for France, Rhineland, and England. We then have later, hundreds of years later, the Shach, and then followed by the Vad Arbo Haratzes, instituted for Kol Malchus Poilin, as a fast day to remember the terrible, terrible Tkufa of Tach Vitat. And you see in the days of the Mishabura, he doesn't say anything. Gam Noegim Lisanis, Chav Siva, Mechol Malchus Poilin. So there was this minic seems to still exist at some time. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't out of, uh, it wasn't out of, uh, out of style, so to speak, to do. When exactly it stopped happening, maybe it was only a din, like the Shach said it for his family, maybe it was understood that it was only for, if you're in Poland, see, there's such a concept, if you come from a place, you have to keep the minhagim in a place no matter where you go. But could be the concept was only, if it was only, you're in Malchus Poland, for anyone who left Poland, and that's, no one's left there anymore, Kamat, right? Anyone who left, even if people who came from there, there, there maybe weren't mechuyev to keep it. But Lamaisa nowadays, I don't know anybody, uh, maybe people do, I don't know at least many people who keep the tainus or say the slichas, um, they call it, when you, when you look around, they call it the forgotten tainus of Chav uh, But if you think about it, it was really a major, you know, when we talk about the Holocaust and things like that, if you want to make tanesim and things like that, Lamaisa, the Vadarabaratis did, they did make such a thing, and in fact, like you see even from the slichas, the slichas are longer than a regular tainus. Like, they went even more than Chazal made on the that are Medivre Kabbalah, the Tanesim for the Churban, they had even longer, uh, more slichas to say, and that is the day of Chav Sivan. So it's something, you know, it's really an important part of uh, our history, number one, from the times of the Rishonim, and number two, Tach Vitat, to understand what happened to Chav Sivan and why they felt that it was so important to make as so many hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of Jews were killed out um, at that time in, in Europe. People are still in England. I don't know. I don't know what happened to that. I don't know. I don't know what happened to that. I don't know. It seems easy. He got very sick from it three weeks later. In the beginning of Tom, in the beginning of Tom, he was nifter. I don't exactly tell No, Rabbi Tom was I don't think so. No, not all of them. But, uh, no, but uh, no, Rashbam and Rashbam and Rabbi Tom. So what do you say? Who's this guy? Okay, we should just be Zaycha, we should only see Simchas and Klai